Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today we're going to discuss Active Directory and explore how it affects your enterprise security posture. Now, if you're a recent Active Directory system admin, I suppose you could skip this episode unless you enjoy the melodic sound of my voice. But then again, you can always learn something new about a topic, even if you are a master. And if you understand that this is a primary target of many sophisticated attackers, every bit of knowledge can help. So as always, please follow us on LinkedIn and make sure you subscribe so you can always get the latest updates. Well, first, let's take a little trip down memory lane. Back when I started working with PCs in the early 80s, uh, they were standalone devices. You plug them in, turn them on, and install programs from floppy disks and, and move your data around via sneaker net, which meant carrying around a floppy disk from desk to desk. Novell Netware, which first fielded in 1983, supported both MS-DOS and CPM, for those who remember that, and used its own proprietary server hardware. But by 1993, Netware version 4 introduced Network Directory Services, which is a global directory service based on ISO X500, which we'll talk about in a moment, and allowed the connection of multiple systems to endpoints and the like. Now, to do so, they use something called a directory service. And a directory service maps the name of network resources to the respective network addresses and provides a centralized way to manage not only endpoints, but volumes, folders, files, printers, users, devices, even telephone numbers. And each of these resources are stored as an object by the directory server, along with associated attributes. What makes a directory service useful is that it assigns unique names to each object and applies rules as to how some objects, for example, an endpoint, can access other objects, for example, a server. And because it uses names instead of network addresses, it makes it easier to reference and remember objects in a network. Now, you may be familiar with the first directory service to ever run on the internet, the domain name system, or DNS. Well, by 1999, Microsoft finally introduced their version of a directory service named Active Directory. AD, as it's been come to call, provides a structured hierarchical method for identifying objects as well as ways to locate and work with them. <clears throat> well, why bother with something like this? I mean, in a small business, it didn't matter much, but as large enterprises networked all of their systems into a client-server architecture, the task of adding, changing, or deleting, because we did have recessions, thousands of users could be automated with scripts that propagated the result without a tremendous amount of effort. Now, Microsoft states on their website, quote, Active Directory Domain Services provides secure, structured, hierarchical data storage for objects in a network, such as users, computers, printers, and services. Active Directory Domain Services provides support for locating and working with these objects. Okay. So I think we've laid the foundation for AD, which is basically Microsoft's mechanism for managing a Windows network. The information stored in a specialized server called a domain controller, and users connect to a domain controller anytime they log in, access another device, or have changes made to their Microsoft software licensing. Now, AD domain services, sometimes referred to as ADDS, re replicate across the enterprise. So each one serves as a backup for all the others. Now, this type of resiliency is important for a large enterprise, but as we'll hear in a bit, it was nearly the cause of the complete downfall of Maersk's global network. But let's continue with our business discussion of AD for now. 
I just checked a website for job listings with, quote, Active Directory in the title and found 24,789 of them. So as I said in the introduction, if you didn't work in one of those jobs fairly recently, listen on. I think you're going to find something useful here. Now, most organizations must meet cybersecurity requirements, such as the Payment Card Industry Data Security Standards, PCI DSS, the Healthcare Information Portability and Privacy Act, HIPAA, and most recently for DOD contractors, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model, or CMMC. As security leaders, we often implement checklists to ensure that we have in place those elements that are going to be validated by the auditors. However, the problem with protecting our enterprise by just using checklists is that we often miss the real cause of how our data is stolen. Let's look at PCI. PCI compliance tells us prescriptive guidance, such as we should need to install a firewall, use antivirus, and monitor our systems. The problem is that compliance checklists like this often miss the most frequent ways to safeguard and the best ways to safeguard against real-world attacks. I mean, what's the most common way that attackers get into your system? Think for a minute. Is it password spraying? Could be USB road apples left strategically in your parking lot? Actually, it's usually not anything technical at all, at least to start. The most common attack every company in the world experiences is probably phishing. There's nothing in PCI compliance where you have to track phishing click rates or scores. And additionally, after a bad actor sends someone a phishing attack and puts some type of malware on the system, they'll often target Active Directory to escalate privilege and get admin level controls. Once again, we don't see any mention of securing Active Directory in common compliance standards. So let's talk about how to backstop one of the most popular ways bad actors come after you and arm you with the defenses you can implement to protect your organization. See, by implementing not just prevention, but also using an alerting mechanism, we can achieve better phishing defenses and reduce the likelihood and severity of cyber incidents. Unless you have zero Windows devices in your enterprise, Active Directory is one of the most common things you'll encounter as a CISO. It's important to know how it works and how to secure it. If you do have Windows devices in your environment, then you depend on Active Directory to track pretty much everything on your network. Even if you operate purely in the cloud, Microsoft Azure Active Directory provides the cloud-based equivalent to what we're discussing here. Now, bad actors yeah, and pen testers, now the most hosted and cloud-based networks depend on AD, and they know if you leave even a slight misconfiguration in your configuration, you open the door to lateral movement and privilege escalation attacks. And therefore, as part of your CISO tradecraft, let's improve your understanding of it. Now, Active Directory utilizes a concept called Lightweight Directory Access Protocol, or LDAP, which is based on the International Telecommunications Union, or ITU standard, known as X.500. Now, LDAP is an industry standard for maintaining directory information services over a TCP IP network. And as we said before, objects or entries in the directory have attributes that are useful to identify or utilize the object. Now, one of the important characteristics of an X.500 format is its unique identifier known as a distinguished name or DN. Now, the distinguished name is unique. There might be 25 John Smiths in the U.S. Army, but there's only one major John Smith assigned to the Pentagon and the E-ring, third floor, seventh wedge. Now, if we pull apart Active Directory, we'll see that it consists of a number of different services. And well, I'm kind of violating my own research rules, and I consulted Wikipedia for a lot of this. So um, thank you for the folks who contributed to that. First of all, is 
Active Directory Domain Service, or ADDS. As we said before, it's the foundation of every Windows domain network. It stores information about members of the domain, including devices and users, verifies their credentials, and defines their access rights. And when a user logs in or accesses another device, that system contacts the domain controller to allow or deny that access. In addition, there are other Active Directory services such as Group Policy, the Encrypting File System, EFS, BitLocker, Domain Name Services, Remote Desktop Services, Exchange Server, and SharePoint Servers. The second is the Active Directory Lightweight Directory Services, or ADLDS. As mentioned, it's an implementation of the LDAP protocol for Active Directory, and it provides a data store for storage of directory data and a directory service with an LDAP directory service interface. Okay, kind of technical there, but basically it's how we communicate back and forth. We don't need the full-blown database with everything else. We can just make the simple, shorter commands, the lightweight services, which allow us to manage things effectively. There's also the Active Directory Certificate Services, or ADCS. And this establishes a non-premises public key infrastructure. It can create, validate, and revoke public key certificates for internal use. Now, these certificates can be used to encrypt files when used with the encrypted file system, emails with SMIME, and network traffic when used by VPNs, transport layer security protocol, or even IPsec protocol. The Active Directory Federation Services, or ADFS, is a single sign-on service. With an ADFS infrastructure in place, users may use several web-based services, for example, an internet forum, a blog, online shopping, even webmail, or network resources using only one set of credentials stored at a central location, as opposed to having to be granted a dedicated set of credentials for each service. So AD, or Active Directory Federation Services purpose, is an extension of the AD directory service. The latter enables users to authenticate with and use the devices that are part of the same network using one set of credentials. The former, the federated services or federation services, enables them to use the same set of credentials in a different network. Now, one other term you may hear frequently with regards to authentication is Kerberos. Kerberos is a network authentication protocol that verifies both the identity of the user that's requesting authentication as well as a server providing the requested authentication, also known as mutual authentication. The Kerberos authentication mechanism issues tickets for accessing network services, and these tickets contain encrypted data, including an encrypted password, that confirm the user's identity to the requested service. Now, we're going to be coming back to Kerberos when we talk about known attacks. Now, lastly, there's Active Directory Rights Management Services, or RMS which is a server software for information rights management shipped with Windows Server. It uses encryption and a form of selective functionality for limiting access to documents such as emails, Microsoft Word documents, web pages, and the operations authorized users can perform on them. So when you want only one group of users to have read and or write access to sensitive HR documents, the rights management service would, would perform that action. Now that we know that the high-level functions of Active Directory, we need to think about how LDAP and Active Directory really work behind the scenes. Now, at a very practical level, there's the concept of objects. Objects can be two things. One, things that act are known as security principles. You can think of these as users, computer accounts, groups. Yeah. Number two would be things that are acted upon. These are called resources. Example, a printer, something that would be acted upon. Now, each object gets data stored about it that shows characteristics. 
The characteristics follow a schema that essentially becomes the permissions of everything Windows permits or denies. Now, objects can be also grouped within a domain. When this happens, we call it an organizational unit, or OU. For example, you might create OUs for each field office, like in Chicago, Los Angeles, Miami, etc. Well, now that we know the basics, let's look at how bad actors are going to target Active Directory. StealthBits has put together an excellent list of Active Directory attacks, and we'll link to in the show notes, and a lot of them using Benjamin's Delpy's Mimikatz tool. I'm not going to go into the details here on Mimikatz, but essentially, it's a memory access tool often used to steal credentials and escalate privileges. Now, here are nine Active Directory attacks you should be familiar with. Number one, LDAP reconnaissance, lightweight directory access protocol. It's an internal reconnaissance technique used to discover users, groups, and computers in Active Directory. Now, adversaries will gain an initial foothold using a watering hole or password spraying attacks to generate a list of possible valid usernames. Now, once in, they can then use LDAP queries to increase their knowledge of the environment, which can help them find targets and plan the next stages of the attack. Using tools like Empire, or Bloodhound, or even straight PowerShell, attackers identify service principal names to understand which accounts have access to servers. Attackers can also identify which accounts are domain or enterprise administrators, so they know where to go to try to gain their privileges. And finally, you can show where servers, databases, and domain controllers are located, which help attackers know where to move next. Number two would be a pass the ticket. It's a credential theft technique that enables adversaries to use stolen Kerberos tickets to authenticate to resources, for example, file shares and other computers, as a user without having to learn that user's password. An adversary would use a tool like Mimikatz, there it is again, to extract Kerberos tickets from the memory of the LSAS.exe process. Next, the threat actor is going to inject the stolen ticket into their own session, causing their session to adopt the identity and privileges of the stolen ticket for subsequent authentication to resources. Now, once the stolen ticket is ready for reuse, the threat actor performs reconnaissance to determine where it can be used. Now, attackers might use commands like net use to find out what domains the ticket is valid, but using that stolen ticket and the information about the user's privileges gleaned from internal reconnaissance, the threat actor can use lateral movement techniques to attempt to access other resources and further their objectives. Number three would be Kerberosting. It's an attack method that allows an attacker to crack the passwords of service accounts in Active Directory offline and without fear of detection. First, an attacker would scan the Active Directory for user accounts that contain a service principal name. This means those accounts that represent programs or services, not human users. Now, once that list is obtained, the attacker requests a service ticket from those accounts. And these service tickets will contain a password hash. Now, if Windows comes back with the default RC4 encrypted hash, then the passwords used to create the hash can be attacked offline. Using Mimikatz to extract the service tickets to memory and save it to a file, attackers will exfil this file and attack it using dictionary attacks to extract the passwords. Now, here's a pro tip for you. It's a CISO. Use at least AES-256 encryption for your Active Directory. Do not use the default RC4 cipher. Number four, DC sync. It's a command within Mimikatz that an attacker can leverage to simulate the behavior of a domain controller, or DC. More simply, it allows the attacker to pretend to be a domain controller and then ask other domain controllers for user password data. Now, per to perform this attack, 
An attacker must first compromise an AD account with directory replication privileges. Now, any member of administrator, domain admin, enterprise, and domain controller groups have this privilege by default. The attacker can then forge Kerberos tickets and then try to access those resources in Active Directory. Number five is pretty cool. It's kind of known as the golden ticket attack. The golden ticket is attacked to obtain the password hash for the most powerful service account in the Active Directory, the Kerberos Ticket Generating Ticket Account, or KRB TGT account. If an attacker obtains this account, they're able to compromise every account within Active Directory, giving them unlimited and virtually undetectable access to any system connected to Active Directory. To perform this attack, an attacker uses, again, Mimikatz to extract the Kerberos ticket generating ticket password hash, the username, the security identifier. The Mimikatz could be then used to create a golden ticket from this account. And yes, that's named after the Willy Wonka golden ticket that gives unfettered access to the factory. Now, Mimikatz can load this ticket into the current session, and then this pass the ticket attack allows the attacker to pretty much go anywhere. Number six is the DC shadow attack. It's a technique in which an attacker abuses compromised replication permissions to mimic a domain controller and make malicious changes to Active Directory. Now, it's a particularly stealthy technique as the methods it used did not create logs that detail the changes made. Now, here an attacker would first need to get credentials for an admin account. Attackers might use Mimikatz to pull passwords from poorly secured group-managed service accounts. The attacker replicates the AD objects, makes changes to them, such as giving them domain admin privileges, and then pushes them back to the real domain controller. And then this allows the attacker to now have domain admin privileges and go wherever they want. Number seven, admin SD holder modification. Well, first, a definition from Microsoft. The purpose of the admin SD holder object is to provide template permissions for the protected accounts and groups of the domain. Admin SD holder is automatically created as an object in the system container of every Active Directory domain. Now, modifying the access control list, or ACL, of the admin SD holder container in Active Directory enables an attacker to achieve and maintain persistence in an already compromised domain even if an administrator finds and removes the attacker's permission on a protected object the admin SD holder controls. For example, an adversary could use a tool like Rubius to disable pre-authentication. This allows an encrypted ticket to be returned, which could then be brute forced offline. Now, PowerSploit could then be used to grant all privileges on the admin SD holder container to a normal user they'd previously compromised. Now, the next time the SD prop process runs, this otherwise normal user will now have domain admin privileges applied to all protected objects, thus creating a shadow administrator in Active Directory. One of the things you ought to look for on a regular basis, something that I do in my enterprises, is I check to see how many global admins I have on a regular basis. And I also check all the other admin privileges just to see if anything happened to grow overnight. So far, nothing has, but it's not a bad check to do and it's pretty easy to do uh, on a regular basis. Number eight, ntds.dit password extraction. Yeah, all right, so what's that? Well, the NTDS dip file, if you will, is Active Directory's database. If you can steal that, an attacker can extract a copy of every user's password hash and subsequently act as any user in the domain. Now, attackers can perform this attack by performing a volume shadow copy from the system command prompt. The attacker retrieves the NTDS dip file from the volume copy, then copies a system file for the registry or volume shadow copy. 
This provides the attacker with the boot key needed to decrypt the NTBS tip file. Now the attacker extracts passwords and covers their tracks. Once passwords are extracted, you can do a pass the hash attack. Number nine of nine, the plain text password extraction. Now, some administrators are guilty of bad practices, such as embedding passwords in group policy preferences that create local users or map network drives. Now, these passwords can be stored in XML or in a system volume share, and attackers can run tools like PowerSploit to get the group policy preferences, which identify passwords in group policies. Although this feature was removed from Windows in 2014, there still might be Windows legacy group policies out there that have this misconfiguration. So now that we've learned a fair bit about how Active Directory can be attacked, let's talk about three things you should do as a CISO to secure Active Directory. Number one, use hardened images. Organizations need to configure Active Directory according to secure standards like DISA STIGs or Center for Internet Security, CIS benchmarks. This is the easiest way to know you aren't misconfigured, such as allowing things like RC4 hashes, which could be easily cracked. And one way to quick start an organization on this is use a CIS hardened image that meets both perhaps DISA and CIS requirements. This also provides a quick way to know if it's configured without having to perform all the configuration yourself. Now you can browse available benchmarks at www.cisecurity.org slant CIS hyphen benchmarks. Number two, perform security assessments. Organizations need to perform pen tests and red team assessments against Active Directory. Internal teams should use popular attack tools like PowerShell Empire, Mimikatz, Rubius, and Bloodhound. These common attack tools should tip off your security operations center, your SOC, and manage security service provider if you don't have a SOC. Well, if your SOC can't see your attacks, well, then you better fine tune your detection tools. You really don't want bad actors to be the ones who first identify weaknesses in your detection capabilities. And number three, learn from your audits. Organizations should conduct routine audits, at least yearly, to ensure that least privilege is enforced. I mean, do all the current domain administrators still need access? Are there any accounts present that have no valid business case? Have all the passwords been changed according to timelines specified by the security policies? And you get additional tools that will go through and run checks and identify, hey, this is an admin account or this is a privilege account and hasn't been accessed in 30 days. Did this person leave? Um, I, I got a hit on one of those. Turned out this person was, in fact, on not leave. Uh, she was on maternity leave. And uh, so as a result, was not accessing the account for 30 days. Now, I suppose I probably could have locked out that account and allowed it to come back on when she returned. But with two-factor authentication set up, I wasn't too, too worried about that going bad. But nonetheless, it's useful to, to have a known potential hit to see if your detection tools are triggering. Now, oh yeah, I remember I, I told you about Marisk, right? Okay, so Andy Greenberg wrote a great article for Wired entitled, The Untold Story of NotPetya, the Most Devastating Cyber Attack in History. Now, for those of us who remember a few years ago, NotPetya was an attack that pretty much crippled Ukraine, and it was designed to spread through the financial software that was used for reporting taxes and things such as that. Well, companies that were located in Ukraine, including a field office for Maersk, were down, downloaded the software, installed it. Well, what happened was it took advantage of being able to use a lateral movement that was extraordinarily effective. I'm not going to get into the details of the terminology here, although I could talk about it. Uh, but the point that I wanted to get to was this with respect to Active Directory. 
What had happened was, is through this lateral movement, the eternal blue, that it was able to infect all the other domain controllers within their entire server. They had about 150 of them across the world. Now, they had some servers that were backed up, and just about all the individual servers had backups that had been between three and seven days old. Yeah, not perfect, but yeah, that's something you could restore as a start point. But the thing is, domain controllers are programmed to synchronize with each other, so that in theory, any of them could back up for all the others. But that decentralized backup strategy didn't account for one scenario when every domain controller is wiped out simultaneously. Basically, if you can't recover your domain controllers, you can't recover anything. All your users, all their permissions, every object, everything that you're supposed to know about is gone. I mean, the data is there, but you can't label it. It's almost like wiping out the file allocation table in an old disk from the old DOS days. If your fat got wiped out, good luck rebuilding the thing. Well, it turns out, kind of a uh, good news, bad news story. The bad news is they had a power failure down in Ghana. The good news is that blackout knocked the machine offline, and it was offline when everything replicated to each other, wiping out all the information. So it turned out that there was one copy left on the planet that was untouched by the malware, thanks to a power outage. So hey, sometimes things go well because of bad events. Well, guess what? They said, hey, let's go ahead and connect to that kind of office. We'll upload it. But the bandwidth was so low, it would take several days to transmit these several hundred gigs of domain controller back up to the UK. Okay, so we'll put one of these staffers on the next plane to London. Um, yeah, nobody from that office had a British visa. So they had to kind of do a relay race. They flew it from Ghana to Nigeria. Somebody else met it there, took this hard drive, took a six and a half hour flight up to Heathrow and presented the one remaining domain controller. And when they were able to then kind of recover their enterprise. Whew. So yeah, you, I mean, we learn from these things. Uh, we don't expect everything to break. But in that particular case, uh, it did. So anyway, hopefully you've gained a better appreciation for the importance of Active Directory, some of the components that are in there, ways that you can go ahead and protect yourself. And thank you again for listening to our CISO Tradecraft podcast. And hope you like learning about this stuff. Now, if you like it, have a simple request. Just share it with your friends or share it on social media. I'd love to have more listeners to go ahead and help out with their careers. Again, this is G. Mark Hardy for CISO Tradecraft. Thank you again for your time and stay safe.